Hey, welcome back, friends. If you've been here before and if you've not, hello for the first time. You are listening to a brand new episode of How to Wow. It's a pop-up episode with my good friend and hilarious comedian, Jimmy Carr. Now, Jimmy has written a part memoir, part self-development book, um, which is hard to describe, but brilliant um, to get in your lap and have a read of. He does a far better job of that than me, which is why I'd like to listen to this. Jimmy Carr's Before and Laughter, a life-changing book, is out now. And he was on such good form when he joined us on the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show live at the top of the News Tower. So enjoy, my friends. That's to come. But first, just before we begin... Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six, okay, ten tops, to prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow and join health experts, athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow. Okay, and don't forget slash howtowow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given howtowow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow okay so now you know where to go to for your super supplementation it's time to cue the conversation jimmy this book it's a cracker uh, jimmy carr before and laughter a life-changing book how would you describe it uh, it's it's like it's kind of a mix of uh of an autobiography, straight showbiz autobiography, lots of name-droppy stories that you would expect, and also half a self-help book. I have this thing when I read people's biographies where I go, oh, this guy talks about himself a lot. <laughs> this guy's obsessed, he never stops, he goes on. So I thought I'd make it half about the reader and half about me and the stuff that helped me. Well, I totally get it. Some people have struggled with it, haven't they? Some reviews have said, what is this? Well, And that's because they were expecting something else. An expectation can be the killer of many, many things. I think that's the secret to life right there. I think that's the secret of happiness. I think happiness is lowering your expectations sometimes. Oh, the reason New Year's and birthdays yeah. are kind of tough is because you think it's going to be the best night ever and then it's, nah. Well, I think goals are fine, but expectations are, are pretty much useless, to be honest. Yeah. They, um, they don't help you. Yeah, there's that thing about need, isn't there? Um, you know, to be needy, um, what you don't really want in your life is you don't want to, to need things. Expectations, what's the other one? Uh, demands is the D. What's the other E? Expectations, uh, entitlement. Uh, these are the sort of... They're the opposite of the four um, stoic virtues. I love this. I, it's, it's like life advice with Come a bit on. of brass music in the background. Well, this because, is upbeat. Because you've inspired me with your book, which is full of wisdom, but it is laced with these um, sucker-punch jokes halfway through these pearls of wisdom which you just don't expect. So let's start at the beginning. Superpowers of the average comic. If I could have any superpower, 
I'd go for Cold War era Russia, says Jimmy. I'm going to argue there are five superpowers, though, that all comedians have. Things that we do better than you regular folk. Does that mean we're better than regular people? Yes, it does. <laughs> comedians <laughs> are standout human beings. We have so many superpowers, we should wear capes. But then you go on to say, but anybody can have these superpowers. Yeah, there's nothing special about I think I had a really kind of ordinary, boring... It's really nice to be on the show, partly because of the way my life's gone. The partly... I used to have a, a quite a boring commute where I would listen to your show on the radio yep. and I would think, wow, there's a fun party going on and I'm not at it. Yep. I'm doing quite a boring commute and I changed my life. And there's nothing special about me. I just believed certain things and through believing those things, I was able to kind of put a more interesting life together. Yeah, and you didn't start writing jokes until you were 25. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was in my mid-twenties. It wasn't like I was a kid and I always wanted to do this. I kind of changed everything. Kind of, I, I suppose a quarter-life crisis. A quarter life, just I'm giving up my job, I'm off, I'm done with this, I'm joining the circus. And obviously, you know, it's worked out for me, I guess. When you look at it from the outside, it seems obvious. But at the time, you're kind of jumping out to do, you know, tiny gigs above a pub somewhere. And it's, but it's exciting and it's your life. It is your life. So what are these superpowers then? Tell us what superpowers you go out with as a comedian armed with, um, you know, under your invisible cape on a daily basis. Well, I guess, you know, comedians tend to be very good, very good communications. I mean, he said, struggling with the word communications. (laughs) Good listeners. It's that thing. Pattern recognition is the key thing to life. And what comics do is pattern. Pattern recognition is really the reason humans, the whole of society is built on pattern recognition. You talk, you, talk about, you talk about that, don't you? You talk about the science of comedy, but it's not dull. It's fascinating is what it is. You know, and what I love about what you said, well, I love the whole book, but what you say, in the, the reason you grabbed me on page eight is because one of my heroes is a guy called Seth Godin. Do you know about Seth Godin? I don't know Seth Godin. Yeah, so Seth Godin has written over 130 books and he's this amazing blogger. He's in his 60s, if not 70s. He lives just outside New York and he's this kind of, he's the kind of guy who thinks about life like this. He's not dissimilar to yourself, Jimmy. He lives 40 minutes away from the centre of New York and the reason he lives 40 minutes away from the centre of New York is because lots of people um, and call upon him or want wants something from him uh, and want to go and see him. And he thinks that 40 minutes is just far enough away for opportunists not to be able to be bothered because they're opportunists. You've got to love that. I, you? I love it when it's got like, when you see the method in the madness. Oh, so cool. I love that story about, um, uh, it's, uh, the, uh, what's the band that has the, the brown M&Ms? I put it in the book. Like um, when you see the method... ACDC. Uh, no, I think it was I think it was Bon Jovi back in the day, right? Had, and they used to insist on backstage having a, a brandy glass full of brown M and M's, only brown M and M's, and people thought it was madness and rock and roll excess and and being kind of you know divas. Yeah. And actually, what it was was that brown M and M's brandy glass was the last point in a two hundred point checklist of things for their rider. So if they turned up and there was brown M and M's, they would go for a nap. They would go for a sleep in the van because they knew the light and the sound would be great. It was their way of checking. <laughs> They'd read the list and got to the end of the list. Sometimes you only see the madness and you never see the reason. The thing you have in common with Seth Godin is the fact that he says... He gives these amazing tips. He, he writes a daily blog, and I encourage everybody to read it. He's never missed one in, in years and years and years. He's one of the first people to start writing blogs, and they're all unbelievably short and unbelievably profound, without question, these blogs. And he writes them daily, live on a daily basis, and posts them just after he's written them. But what he talks about is a lot is public speaking. And he says 99.9% of all people who are paid, paid professionally to public speak, are rubbish at it, let alone the amateurs. And he says that only 0.01 are any good. And he says the most important important thing to do when speaking in public is remember your priority in fact it's the only goal of the whole event is to move people not inform them not impress this them this is this is move I mean, them i love this my uh, the quote in the book that i that i love is 
People never remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel. I often have that thing like after live shows where people come out and go, oh, it was hilarious, I lasted for two hours. Oh, you know, people will say, tell us a joke, and they'll go, I can't remember any. But they remember how you made them feel, yeah. and they come back. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing about, about political speakers, where, you know, uh, whether it's, it's, the, it's the baddies of history or, or the saints of history, they, they knew how to move people with language because that's what sets us apart uh, from other sentient beings. Um, what a fantastic way to hit the ground running um, when it comes to reflecting on your episode to do with HMRC, which you do not shy away from in this book. I think it would be... If you bought a book by me and a kind of an autobiography and I didn't talk about being publicly shamed over tax avoidance, you'd feel a bit short-changed. Yeah. Yeah, which like is, HMRC did. Is, <laughs> <laughs> now, it's really important to point out the difference between avoidance and evasion. Yeah, it's about two years in jail. It's about two years in jail. In fact, we wouldn't be talking to you now. Well, we might be, just about, I suppose, with good behaviour. Um, but what's, astound <laughs> what's, ast what's astounding about this whole episode is that David Cameron... Um, component in it and just for people who, who may not remember they may have seen your picture on the front page of the papers and stories to go with what so what happened was I was I, I you know they did an investigation or whatever or they, HMRC leaked something so it was on the front of the paper and they, they said this guy hasn't paid enough tax or he's done like a, a dodgy not he's not got it under the floorboards but he's got because that was the Ken Dodd thing wasn't yeah. it Ken Dodd literally had a room of money in his house and you talk about that and then he said uh, he said I didn't think I had to pay the inland revenue because I live near the sea but that's Ken Dodd. He's a genius. So I had this tax and scandal. And he was acquitted. Yeah, uh, of course he was. He was tried by a jury of his peers in Liverpool. Scouts God was... love Ken Dodd. He's yeah. the best. Um, so uh, basically the tax scandal happened. It was two days. It was all dying down. And then David Cameron arrives at the G20 conference. The, the prime minister of the country that I live in arrives at the G20 conference in Mexico. He's in a meeting with the 19 most important people in the world. In South America. And he comes out early to do a press conference where he talks about nothing other than my personal tax affairs. That is when you know you're in trouble. If you've just received a letter this morning, dear listener, from HMRC demanding money with menaces, don't worry about it. Pop it in the recycling. They will send another letter. If the Prime Minister of the country you live in starts to comment, you, there might be a problem. So it says here, uh, Chapter 11, uh, there's a saying about Chapter problems. 11, yeah. If you have a problem that can be solved with money and you've got the money, you don't have a problem. Turns out, not entirely true if the Prime Minister gets involved. Now, I remember seeing you when this was going on. Do you remember? Oh, I think we were in Stafford Street and I was passing you and I said, it was a sunny day, you looked at, you looked like you just walked off the Top Gun set. You looked so cool. You had a pair of these uh, Ray-Ban, um, what are they, the, the most famous Ray-Bans called? Aviators. Aviators on. And I said, how are you doing, Jimmy? And and you were so surprised that I said hello with a smile because of what you're going through. And you went, oh, well, you know, um, apart from the, whatever, I can't remember how you phrased yeah. it, uh, everything's going well. And because well, I'm not into that. I don't want to have that conversation with you. And I saw a little smile sort of in your eyes thinking, Oh, he's not bothered about it, and you tell. Oh, I'm you, so bothered about it. No, not you. Yeah. me. I yeah. wasn't bothered about it. I, I didn't want to yeah. go there. And you tell this great story about fair weather friends and foul weather friends, and uh, your good mate and our good friend James Corden. He, uh, he, he was, was incredible. He was on side, wasn't he? And lots of other people were on side for you. Well, as well. Of, you know, you find out when something like that happens, and I think in life, this isn't like a showbiz book in terms of it's all stuff that's in real life. So when something bad happens, you find out who your friends are, who calls. 
I, lo- I love calling now. I like the idea that when something bad happens, you call on the day. And, yeah. you, and you say, I don't know what to say. There's a lot of things in life, especially like medical stuff, whatever, people go, I didn't call because I didn't know what to say. Just call and go, I didn't know what to say. That's fine. Yeah. It's the act of calling that's the thing. But James Corden was on Broadway, you know, trying to win a Tony doing his show, which was incredibly hard, intense for him physically. And he called me every night for a week because he knew that I was down. So he just used to call me like at midnight after I'd finished my show and go, you all right? You right, mate? Yeah. Right? And it was like, it was just exactly what I needed. Yeah. I've He's had, a mensch. I've had a similar experience with James Corden, to be honest. He's um, a mensch. He mensch. So now I try and do it all the time. Try and find someone's number and give them a call. Yeah, it's if they're really going important. Through something. And we talked about it on the show last week. You know, if if some, if some doing something, not just in a situation like that, but if some, if doing, uh, uh, if getting, becoming virtuous for a moment or two in your day crosses your mind, 99.9% of the people and you know I put myself in this category as well most times think yeah I'll do that later no just do it then just mm. do it then if you if you if you have a a, a selfless or a, a kind thought act on it straight away because you probably won't do it otherwise. and it's that thing where you know people talk a lot about cancel culture and stuff and that it's all great but there's not enough forgiveness going on there's not enough redemption and forgiveness going on said said the sinner is it true is it true that you then had to book a 500 date tour to to help pay the Ultimate bill. And not to help pay, to pay. I mean, literally, my finances are tax avoidance. All I would say is it couldn't have gone worse. Oh. I'll tell you how much money I saved in tax, Chris. Nothing, despite quite a lot of effort on my part. Yeah. I'm the only person in the world that would have been better off taking financial advice from a Nigerian general over email. All right, got it. Okay, so that's in there. It's all in there. I mean, if you're yeah, talking about that, you're talking about everything. You talk about becoming a dad unexpectedly, and the most surprised person in this whole scenario um, in the beginning was probably yourself. Well, I mean, becoming a dad was, I mean, obviously it was something that I wanted for a while. It was like, a, you know, a long road to get there. And then when it happens, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, I know that seems obvious now. I'm kind of old to be a dad. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm so kind of excited about it and into it. It's like, it is like that thing. It's like having a medical procedure where your heart now lives outside your body. So my heart now is not with me. My heart that. is at playgroup. I love that. It's so cool. Um you say that this this you first realised what was going on when your partner announced that she she had ceased taking uh, contraceptives and um, you said oh really what's that about and she the, her reply was the best reply ever because I wouldn't mind having a little a little you running around the place you could, yeah flatter the ego <laughs> flat, I wouldn't mind a it's little very, version of you it's gorgeous and it's really clever well I had I mean really it was it was Vicky Corrin. Oh, you know Vicky? Yeah, of course. Uh, Vicky and David. So we're having dinner with them, and they'd had their baby, and they said, they said, look, if there was a little, if there was a little version, if there was a shop two miles away, and there was a little version of you two in there, in the window, just sitting there, you'd go and have a look, wouldn't you? You'd, go, you'd have a look. You'd go and have a look. <laughs> and then, and it's, you know, and then she said, you know, and they're not cheap. And I went, nah, you got me. I'll have it. Um, right. Uh, so you booked another 500-day tour. No. Out. Of course, I, but yeah, of course. Yeah, you would do. Uh, some great quotes in the book. Um, I can't, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I mean, honestly, a couple of reviews. They, they still liked it, but they, it was, because it wasn't what they were expecting. They couldn't get their heads around. Well, I don't want to be the, the mutual admiration squad, but your autobiography was quite an inspiration, really, because your autobiography, the it's not what you think, yeah, and the lists that you did, yeah. I felt like when I read that, it was like. It was a lot about you and a lot about your life and Warrington and growing up and the paper rounds and the whole sort of thing and your relationship with your folks. And it was, it was great for that thing. But the thing I got out of it was the little life lessons that you had and the little phrases and the little 
the thing that I, I say all the time, every day is a school day. And I got that from your book. There was lots of little quotes that really, you know that thing of little sticky phrases? Yeah, I love them. I thought you're really good at that, kind of having those things. So I, I kind of re-looked at that and looked at the structure of it and thought, well, it's a really good balance yeah. of going, look, half it's about me. You might be a bit interested in me, you know, comic off the telly, someone that you go and see live. I'm very But everyone's in more interested in themselves. I'm interested in your, um, well, we said that phrase today on the show, um, serendipitously, uh, we, we started the show with, because we were talking about the marathon, and people run the marathon. Do you can run? Oh, you mentioned the marathon, did you? Yeah, no. Did you? <laughs> yeah, did run. you mention the marathon? Are you running the marathon? I'd n- our listeners won't know. We should tell them. Well, we've got another yeah, hour. We should go I big mean, on it. Let's go big on it. I love the enthusiasm for the marathon. I mean, the marathon is—it's quite an event when you go and watch it. Yeah. But like, just as a spectator, if you, you know, if people are listening in London. I know people are listening around the world, but if they're listening in London. If you go to it, yeah, the atmosphere is unbelievable. It's the—it's one day. It's the 2012 Olympics again in London. Yeah. Just go on the tube. Don't even get out the tube. Everyone's having a conversation. Everyone's friendly. It feels like it's like wartime. Yeah, we should have mentioned this earlier. <laughs> you, you're bang on. No, but we said that everybody, we're all, regardless of what we might like to think, we're all, we all think about ourselves more than anybody else, including our kids and our wife. We think about ourselves more than anybody else, yet we value the opinions or we put the opinions of others about ourselves over our own. And that is crazy, which speaks to what you were saying there. Some great quotes. Here we go uh, from Jodie Picoult. Uh, you can always edit a bad page, but you can't edit it's a blank page that's a killer quote about just get oh. it down on the page what? get anything down on the page well, yeah, do you ever read that book by Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing yes. shouldn't really be promoting other people's books but th- whenever I meet young people that go I want to be a comedian I want to be a director I yeah. want to be anything I go just read that because yeah. the work ethic thing is incredible and there's such myths in our culture and the, the myth is always like that guy was so talented it was always going to happen or that guy was so hard working it was always going to happen it's always a mix of the two and you get your clever brain around lots of things in the book as well. The reason it's hard to think clearly in stressful situations has to do with cortisol, which floods our system and interferes with our capacity to think straight. The enemy of cortisol is laughter, which, as you know, releases serotonin, dopamine, endorphins and oxytocin, or, as it's collectively known by clinical psychologists, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, pa- I mean... A paraphrase there at the end but, a little but, bit. But laughter is... It's an incredibly important thing. And I think, like, sort of the book really makes a case for looking at everything through rose-tinted glasses. Um, disposition is much more important than position in life. Love it. Uh, breaking and entering, you talk about chapter 24. Of course I believe in luck. How else does one explain the success of those we don't like? <laughs> yeah. That's a great quote. <laughs> How good is that as a quote? That is so clever it's on really so good. many levels. I, I'm so impressed that you've read the book. I've done a lot of press over the last couple of days and people go, yeah, I've read your book. And you go, I think you might have read the inside cover. Yeah. But, I mean, you've, yeah, devoured no, I, this. No, I, I love it. I'm going to devour it again and again and again. It's so cool. Um, let's talk about... This is, there's, a, there's a bit to do with parties in it. There's a great quote about parties. Um, I do like a party. I like a showbiz party. I like a showbiz party. Now, can we talk about the party that I heard you used to have once every six weeks on a Monday at your house? Is, is that a myth or did that happen? No, I had like a pretty, pretty regularly. Maybe not every six weeks, but we had pretty regular parties. What, what, what Always was, a Monday night. What because, happened there then? Because the, ba- the base group of my friends... Like, right. if you have a party and just invite comedians that's a conference that isn't anything it's like a works do so you've got to invite different people from different worlds that's the whole thing right but a monday night's great because no, no one can go oh, i'm busy 
I've got another thing. I've got another thing. It's date night. Sorry, mate. But, but these parties became legend in, in the business. Um, I don't know about legend, no, but they were, they were pretty good. We had some but, late nights. But Will used to go and, you know, there was ping pong going on and you never know who, knew who was around the corner. And, and this is quite an old school thing to do because this thing used to happen years and years ago in showbiz. Did, did you draw from that? Where did this idea come from? Uh, yeah, I think it was that David Frost's garden party Correct. was my... Like, the idea of, like, mixing different people together and also to be, to be a host is a wonderful thing. That, that bit of generosity of going, look, you're my friend and I want to buy you a drink. I just want to feed you and take care of you and introduce you to lots of other interesting people. Yeah. I've got a very privileged life where I get to meet lots of people. And you meet people and you go, oh, well, I want to connect you together. The best thing you ever hear from friends is, like from two mates of yours that didn't know each other, oh, where were you last night? I had a dinner with him. You go, oh, great, perfect. Putting people together is lovely. Uh, lots of texts coming in about Jimmy Carr because we're talking to Jimmy Carr about his brand new book, Jimmy Carr: Before and Laughter, a life-changing book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good title, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's slightly overpromising the title. No, it's not. It's a really funny book. Um, Andrew Peters from Bucks. Really interesting chat with Jimmy. My father's motto was always do it well, do it now. Chris from Bath. Love Jimmy and can't wait to see him in Bath. Should I be able to find tickets? He's there on my wife's birthday. And I was supposed to get tickets, but I had an epic husband fail and forgot. We've watched him every time he's played bath. I mean, that is that is a pretty unveiled plea for tickets there. Yeah. Can you get sure. him in the, in the back door? Yeah, sure. Sure we can. Of course we can. I like people's I like people's mottos. They're little phrases that get them through. Keep them going. Yeah, keep them coming. I love those. All right. One of my favourites, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. Do you like that one? Oh, I love that. Yeah, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Yeah, every single day. Um, Aitken Milton Keynes, such a huge fan of Jimmy Carr. I've ordered his book. Can't wait to read it. And could you chat to him for the... Could you please chat to him for the rest of the show, please? Good luck for Sunday. Well, I could, yeah. But, we, I mean, it's only fair that we talk to Natalie and Brudy because she's Natalie booked. Natalie and Brudy on. Yeah, and, and, and it's a Bubba's birthday today. Yeah. Is it really? Uh, Bubba's two today, yeah. OK, well, you and I have to go down there and sing happy birthday to Natalie. To, well, to... That is going to upset her. It, well, yeah, let's do it. We'll do it after she d- f- finishes still, My singing voice is song. remarkable. Is it? Well, I, I'm, on, I'm on Ed's new single. I'm on Ed Sheeran's new single. Oh, I'm yeah. literally backing vocals. You know everyone. <laughs> Who don't you know? How's your relationship with the Killers going? Good. I, I just texted him with Brandon last week. The new record's <laughs> superb. I love it. I your, love it. Your phone book or your speed dial must be unbelievable. I just, I've got some random friends. I've still got my old friends, but, you know, show business. Hey, I love mate, it. you don't have to be defensive or, or mitigate that where I'm concerned. I love it all. Bring it on. Bring on yeah. the showbiz. I'm still starstruck as well. I love the fact that I'm slightly starstruck this morning being on your show. So same I feel a bit nervous and a bit kind of giddy. Giddy. Right back it's at lovely. you. And it helps, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, also, um, we can't talk to Jimmy for the whole of the show because some bloke called Steve Cram is talking about running and this lady called, he's, he's got a friend called Paula Rackett. She oh, Oh, well. oh, oh, sorry, the, uh, the London Marathon's on Sunday. Oh, the London Marathon. Yeah, no, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, the London and Marathon. some people are running it, some people are sort of virtually running it. And is it too late to enter now? Is any training? I, I could train for the whole of Saturday. You could train for it. See, now, part of my book that I wrote called Call the Midlife, which I wrote at the age of 48, Jimmy. Nice, perfect. Um, um, it was, uh, part of that was running a marathon or training for a marathon in secret for 100 days not drinking, 100 days training for a marathon. So maybe that's where you're heading. Actually, 100 days drinking and training for a marathon. That's the book I want to read. Well, there is the Medoc, the Marathon Medoc, um, which is run around vineyards in France. And you get a glass of something, a little glass of something red that you like every month. Wow. Which is nice. Well, I guess if you've not had a heart attack, great way to find one. (laughs) Uh, Right. Let's talk about um, let's talk about you. 
being part of a benefit gig, a really important one in the United States of America, in New York. Oh, and this was the this was the sort of their version of Help for Heroes, right? right? So they they do this gig every year, and it's a very wealthy family that put on this show. But Bruce Springsteen plays it every year. He's done it like sixteen years in a row. It's at Madison Square Gardens. Can't they get someone else? Not the not the big room, not the big room, not yeah. the sixteen thousand seater. He does it in the in the six thousand seater, the intimate little room, okay. right? So I'm there, and it's like uh, Seth Rogen and uh, Jim Gaffigan and John Stewart. It's like big heavyweight American comics and they put me on very nicely so we're all doing like 10 minute sets and then Bruce is on at the end so I arrive at the venue right and they do this thing at the door where they've got security and they've got our pictures up they've even got like Bruce's picture up so they recognize us when we come up to the security and then they lead you and they go the dressing rooms are up there on the right and then the green rooms on the left very good to have you here Mr. Carr super polite New York great so walk in there walk up the stairs to the green room walk in there in double denim like facing a board is the boss like the boss Bruce Springsteen. And it doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any better, right? So I've just been on Desert Island Discs, like, the year before. And he's Desert Island Discs, like, is so phenomenal. And I just thought, well, I, I'm never going to have this chance again. I'll chat to him. I went, all right. All right, mate. Bruce, I'm Jimmy. I'm on the show. You're on the show. Great. Start chatting away about his choices on Desert Island Discs and those records. And I love the bit that he talked about why he wears denim, because it's what his father wore to work. And he likes to think of music as him going to work and like treats it like a proper job. And it was really a lovely thing that he wrote in his book. And I thought it was fabulous. And chatting away, chatting away, chatting away. I'm eating crudite. I'm having a sparkling water, a little bottle of glass Perrier. I remember clearly. I'm eating the crudites and just, and I'm chatting. And as I'm chatting, I kind of looking around the room going, this is good, isn't it? This is what a brilliant day I'm having. Look around. And the door, I've left the door open as I walked into the green room. And it says on the door, because it's open, I can see the outside of the doors because it's opened in. It says Bruce Springsteen. Well, that's weird. The green room says Bruce Springsteen. And I turned and suddenly went, like, as I was having the thought, I said it out loud. I said, is this the green room or your dressing room? And he went, it's my dressing room. And I went, I should, I should go, shouldn't I? And he went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, after, like. After how long? 20 minutes. It's a good 20 minutes. And he just, I mean, he must have thought, oh, I'm about to, there's a psychopath, where's security? <laughs> And then I just had to lean into it. So for the rest of the day, he was it like my room's next door, it turns out. And then for the rest of the day, he's like singing with his wife. He's got this beautiful voice. And every time I walk by, I'm going, I like walked in there and just kept it up and went, right, what are you, what are you doing? How many songs are you doing? He went, I'm doing, um, I'm doing five. I went, you're doing covers or are you doing your own stuff? He went, I'm doing my own stuff. And I went, <laughs> good luck, mate. Will people, play something people know. <laughs> and has there, has there been any sort of um, fallout from that, good or bad? And I saw him again. I saw him at the, um, I saw him at the, the premiere of The Irishman he was at right. in London. I, I turned around, he was there, and I went, hello, me again. He went, oh. <laughs> he's a very funny, he's very self-effacing oh, for someone who's totally just the boss. I know, I know. And he works, again, the work ethic. The work ethic is incredible, but it's like true for everyone. Yeah. I think it's often that thing of, all we see in, in the world, when we, you know, when people listen to the radio and people watch TV, they only see the results. Yeah. They never see the work. They see Michael Jordan be incredible at basketball. So, yeah. And then you get to watch something like The Last Dance and you go, oh, of course, because the work. Yeah. He did all those hours. 10,000 hours isn't even enough. No, and Hemingway said, you know, everything I write is rubbish, you know, in the beginning. Everything, you know, and then you start to... 
you know, edit it, screw it down, nail it down, um, you know, change yeah. it around a bit. And it's practice till you get it right, and then practice till you can't get, can't it, get wrong. it wrong. Absolutely. Talk about the edge. You talk about the edge a lot in the book. Yeah, I think it's that thing of like the edge is kind of my way of saying doing what you do best. Yeah. I think a lot of people say, well, follow your dreams. I say, follow your dreams if that's what you're best at. Find the thing you do best in the world. We live in a specialist economy, right? Everyone's got their gift. Everyone's got their thing that they do better than anyone else. And finding it is the first great journey in life. Like finding that thing. It took me ages to find comedy. And I'm really glad I did. And I'm very enthusiastic about people finding the thing they do better. Because school's very odd. Until you're 18, school's about kind of levelling out. Because they go, well, you've got to do all these subjects. And you might just be good at English, yeah. but they make you get a, you know, get up to a C grade in physics. Which what is, the world doesn't right. need is more mediocre people doing physics. Yeah, and we talk about that at home because um, our kids, one of our kids, well, many of our, all of our kids, uh, we got, we have five and two grandchildren. Um, the extracurricular activities which are tagged on at the end, are, especially Eli, our middle sons, they're, they're what he should major at. And so they should be his, his main um, stay in, in his school life. And then the extracurricular should be English, Lit and Maths because it's the opposite for him. He, he doesn't speak maths. He doesn't speak. It's, like, it's not like a foreign language. It's like a language that hasn't even been invented yet. Yeah, I love that idea that like really seeing it for what it is, seeing someone and going, look, what's your thing in the world? Yeah. Everyone's got something. Yeah. Everyone's got something kind of special about them. And doing it's about doing what you do best. Not the best in the world. You don't need to be the best singer in the world. I don't, I'm not the funniest comedian in the world. It just, it's the thing that I do best. And so I'm very happy being in that flow state. I get that from you. Like on the radio, you're in a flow state. Yeah. I get the feeling for the three hours, four hours you're on the radio every day, mm. it's like you're in a flow state where you're not really thinking about time, mm. although you know the length of every record in the world ever. <laughs> But that thing of like, you're not really thinking about time. You're like, people get it a lot from hobbies and sport. That thing yeah. of like going, it's like meditation. Yeah. When you're in that state, it's, it's amazing. If you can find something that you do for a living where you're in that state, that's, that's well, the dream. I also talk about living vertically, not horizontally, because time is oh, horizontal. And, and living in the moment is, is about how deep you want to go. So it doesn't matter. Time, time doesn't pass. We pass through time. You know, time is a measure. and not, Time is irrelevant unless you pass between two points of it, whether that's a second or a minute or an hour or a day or mm. a year or your whole life. It's extraordinary. The, the experience that everyone's gone through as well. I think the book's quite appetite for now because everyone's gone through this incredible sort of period of reflection. We're sort of 18 months of on and off lockdowns and everyone's kind of looking back and thinking, right, what, how's my life? What, do I want to go back to the way it was before or do I want to change it? Yeah. It's an interesting phase for an awful lot of people, I think. Yeah, it is. And also, uh, the, the, one of the things that we're all having our, trouble getting our head around now that it's not over, but there is a little bit of distance between, you know, the, the craziness, the most dense of the epicentre, which was the, the pandemic of COVID-19, is the fact that time seems to stand still and we can't you know i i but there's uh, the pandemic for me it feels like it was a second ago yes. it feels like it was yesterday yes and there are afternoons within that yes. that lasted a month yes because time became irrelevant yeah because time stopped passing because we stopped passing through time as a as a as a species oh, i love that. that that's why that's why that this is the proof so wait so you're saying i'm not 49 i'm 48 again you can be whatever you like mate. i'll get a year back yeah of course you can tremendous but the, i mean never before have, has it been more evident to us all literally served on a silver platter that time is a concept and you can do what the heck you like with it and you know if you let it control you then then that's a fool's game i like that thing i've got i mean one of my favorite bits in the book because i found it so inspirational to research was people that made it late in life yeah People that didn't, it didn't happen early for them. Because, you know, if you're listening to this and there's anything that's kind of, you know, uh, resonating with you and you're thinking, actually, I'd like to change what I do, it's never too late. No, it's never too late because that's not even a phrase because it's never late. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're getting deep on the radio in the morning. It's great. Um, and you know, and also, you know, death is something we're moving towards. Death is something that visits us every day. You know, our yesterday selves died with yesterday. You know, we we have died. Our yesterday selves. I mean, died. It's, it's like the you know Eckhart Tolle. I mean, my book is essentially it's Eckhart Tolle for people. That, that don't like self-help. But self-help books are a bit crunchy granola and Birkenstock sandals. And there's a certain, like, I don't, they're, a bit, they're a bit serious sometimes. And I like the idea that you can get all of that stuff into a book and do jokes and make it fun. Well, because that's why I like that, it. That is what makes life, you know, livable. It reminds, it, your book reminded me of when Trevor McDonald used to read the news at 10. Because, do you remember his unfinalies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His unfinalies, right, in the cold light of day, were not funny at all. But in the context of, be, of appearing at the end of a 28-minute news bulletin, they were hilarious. And your jokes in the middle of the... The, the serious stuff, the, yeah. the waxing, you know, lyrically and beautifully about life itself and having a stop and a think and putting the handbrake on at the right time and then hitting us with a joke, that's what... Because for, for me, it breaks everything up. You know, the joke breaks up the message. And sometimes you need that. For me as well, the, the thing about comedy, the thing about humour is it's not for the good times. People think sort of comedy's for the good times. It's not. For the good times, it's a bit of a bonus. It's nice going to a comedy show, you have fun. <laughs> Actually, when you need comedy, when it has a purpose in our our lives is when times are hard when something awful happens when you lose a friend death disease something terrible you people you love that's when sharing a laugh is the most incredible cathartic thing because you can't be frightened and laugh at the same time no, it's you, a beautiful well, wonderful well you can't thing. have two emotions at the same time regardless of what those emotions are you know and fear and and um uh optimism are it's the same energy having a different moment well i always think that i i suffer a bit with and i talk about it in the book with uh, a little bit of depression, but more anxiety. Yeah. I suffer a bit with anxiety. And uh, who does, Jimmy, who doesn't? Well, it's an interesting thing of like looking at it in a positive way and going, look, if you're a creative person, you're going to have anxiety. It's the flip side. So if you don't give your mind something to do, it'll just race. Yeah. It'll wake me up at five in the morning and at an extreme, it'll give you a panic attack. But it's OK because it, it doesn't last forever. And, you, you know, you get through it. It's all, you know, a little bit temporal. But I think, you know, because I, I suffer from anxiety as well, but I've realised it more the more peace I have in my life because I have the contrast and the perspective to see that it is anxiety. And that, in a way, is quite... Re I'm quite relieved to think, oh, it's anxiety, that's all right. Yeah. I, I get it now. I just thought it was how I lived, which is awful. It's OK to live with fear but not live in fear. Because it's important to be fearful of things, but well, not have, have it as a black cloud that follows you. It is, it is that coming. thing. I mean, really, this is this is uh, this has become a therapy session. But it's that <laughs> thing of like going, you know, feeling your emotions. That's what your feelings are for. If you don't feel them in the moment, though, it gets messed up really quickly. So you don't have to feel afraid or nervous or frightened. You can medicate with drugs and alcohol and all the other things that you can go into video games, whatever you want to escape to. You can do that, but there's a price to pay if you don't feel that anger when, when it's appropriate yeah. you'll get depressed three weeks later yeah. it'll hit you you've got to kind of or you'll get angry yeah or you'll explode um jimmy it's a beautiful book well, you've, thank you've you written, so much for reading it i really you've do written appreciate a beautiful it. book and your your um afterword is it called an afterword Oh, is it? I don't know. Like the, you know. You, I, I can't remember what it's called. Is it called the afterword? Epilogue? Um, yeah, well, you reflect on your own book and you, you talk about it and you say, having read my book back, this is now what I think about the, the things I thought. It's the oddest experience when you write a book now because you write it, you finish it, you give it to the publisher, you go, all done. And then two months later, they go, you've got to do the audio book. And so you have to go in. And I'm really pleased with the audio book because I got my friend Amanda Baker who helped me with the book. Like She's like a comedy director. But she went, right, I'll direct the audio book. 
I'll direct it for you. I'll, I'll, so when I did the audiobook, because sometimes, like, four pages in, you get a bit of a drone on, and it's like, you know, no, a bit of energy here, yeah. perform it. Yeah. So, like, she was sort of going, well, you've got to perform And you read it. I read it back, the whole thing, and went, we should put a little button on the end of it. Let's talk about... Because if I did half the things in this book, half of the time, I'd be a superstar. I do a few of them some of the time. <laughs> but that's like, it's everything. Everyone's thinking, but oh, you've you got to be perfect. One of them once a day, it's better than none of them once a day. Yeah, 100%. Right. Well, you seem, you seem so happy. I'm really pleased for you um it's cool man thanks i mean i'm i'm loving it i'm loving being a dad and going going out and playing live again is the thing i mean like i not to be boring about it i know everyone's talking about it, but theaters have been hit harder than anyone else i mean and it's so going out to a live show if you don't like me if you're struggling through this episode of the, <laughs> the, the chris, chris evans breakfast show with, with sky, sky on virgin radio yeah, if you're struggling through because ah, jimmy Carr, i never like that guy but look, we're chatting about interesting stuff and if you get a chance book something Buy a ticket for something, because theatres are really, I mean, they're really on their ass, and it'd be great if people just go out and support them. And also, it's a great night out. Yeah, and you were touring, aren't you? Um, I'm touring. I'm doing, like, a little book tour thing around the country where I'm going to tour, and then I've got this friend, Stuart Goldsmith, who's a brilliant comic, and he does this Comedian's Comedian podcast. Yes. And he's going to interview me live on stage. I'm going to do a full stand-up show, and then do, and you get a copy of the book, and I'm going to do, like, an in-depth interview. What's your website? Where, how do people go? JimmyCar.com. JimmyCar.com. How much of a good place is Jimmy Carr in? I hope that came through there. I think it did. I hope you enjoyed it. Jimmy Carr's book, Before and Laughter, is out now. A life-changing book, which I enjoyed so much um, as I was extolling the virtues of what I was reading and enjoying. His publishers rang and said, can we put some of that blurb on the front cover of the next edition? Well, absolutely, yes. Uh, you can for a small fee anyway uh, please rate and review this episode if you enjoyed it because all the nasties get out there they give things like this sometimes one star reviews to get their names in lights we need to vanquish those naysayers so please do rate and review this and uh, check out more How to Wow podcasts from our archives with the likes of Dame Paula Radcliffe Sir Roger Daltrey is he a sir yet have I just knighted him Roger Daltrey Sir Rod Stewart Dame Emma Thompson Dame Judy Dench Sir Mo Farah lots of ennobled and knighted folks on there and lots of other brilliant people too who haven't yet knelt in front of the Queen for one reason or another alright bye everyone ta-da